Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling and unlock your creative potential with a team of story coaches and published professionals helping you achieve your creative goals. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. I'm not the only one who feels that way. No doubt. It feels good to know... Um, but you're not the only one. I feel, <laughs> yeah. I feel that comfort for sure. There's more than a single aspect of blackness. That quote from today's guest bears repeating, there is more than a single aspect of blackness. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 552. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm speaking with Paula Chase about Doughboys, her latest novel, and a companion to So Done. There are not an abundance of stories reflecting the diversity of black identity. Many stories being published today center on black pain. They take place in similar settings. They portray characters in similar ways. But there are many, many talented authors who are black and who are portraying black lives in ways that communicate the complexity and diversity of blackness. Wait... Let me back that up. These diverse stories are being published. The question I want us to consider is, are we, as readers, as librarians, as teachers, as book buyers, are we centering, purchasing, and celebrating these books? Doughboys, in my humble opinion, is a book that deserves to be read and celebrated widely. It centers on two boys, Raleigh and Simp, whose friendship grows more complex as each boy's interests pull them through life. Simp wants to be captain of the basketball team and stands a shot. He also wants to provide for his mom and four brothers, something that he's able to do from the cash he gets from playing lookout for Coach Tez's drug ring. Raleigh loves basketball too, but his talents as a drummer have earned him a chance to audition for an up-and-coming go-go band. We meet the boys at a crossroads, And that's exactly where I'm going to leave you as you prepare to listen to this conversation. Please welcome my guest, Paula Chase, author of Doughboys. Hi, my name's Paula Chase. My pronouns are she, her. And I write books about teenagers while being Black. Simply put, I like to write stories that reflect and represent that there's more than a single aspect of Black life. With that, I have something to introduce, my new book, Doughboys. 
and it's a letter. Dear black boy, you are loved. It may be hard to understand why your hoodie, locks, or braids scare people. And it gets old watching people tense up when you walk past them on the street. It's tiring that the base of your voice is seen as a threat no matter what words come out of your mouth. Wrong that you get sent to the guidance office for talking out of turn while your white peers are given a stern warning. Whack that your style, slang, and swag are monetized in commercials, but you're given a lecture in the halls and by the media for being you. Confusing that toxic masculinity is forced upon you as both something to be proud of and something to be feared for. A disservice that your antics are labeled behavioral issues while your white peers are immature, just being boys, or troubled enough to be offered help. Infuriating when you're gunned down. Despicable when those we trust to raise you up use you for ill. You don't have to be what people think they see. And what you do as a child isn't who you are forever, no matter how many people try to make you believe it. We see you. You are loved. Keep your head up. Hugs and kisses, Paula. Paula, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am I'm so honored and excited that you're here. Um, a little context for people listening. We <laughs> did this conversation already at the Baltimore Book Festival and had trouble recording it. And so I'm so grateful to you, Paula, to come back and talk to me again for other people to be able to hear that conversation. Doughboys, your latest novel is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's complex. And I can't wait to talk to you and to unpack it with you a little more. Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Would you mind, dear great author, introducing the book to folks who haven't read it yet? And then you know I'm going to hop in and share the great love and wonderful things I saw in it too. Yes. Dope Boys is a book about friendships. Most of my books are about friendship, ironically enough. But what's special about Doughboys and the characters are they're 13-year-old males who are at a crossroads in their friendship, specifically because the things that they once found love in, and that's basketball, is now bringing them, it's tearing them apart a little bit, because also a part of being on this basketball team, which is a very elite recreational team, is that they have to sell drugs or at least be lookouts for the drug dealers that are a part of their basketball team. And one of them has an opportunity to get out of this game while the other sees it as something that he's good at and he doesn't really see any other way for him. And it's the story of um, the turns that their friendship takes takes as they try to figure this out now raleigh and simp these boys i know that we we met these boys and so done this is a companion novel the the time i spent with these boys in this story uh made me feel a lot of things but i i feel like i need to out straight away that uh, when I read the title of your book, Doughboys, I was like, I don't know what this is going to be about at all. I have never <laughs> heard that term before. And I feel extremely naive. But um, 
I also feel like, for me, that's sort of what I love so much about your books is that this is some, uh, I'm reading children, I'm reading characters that have experiences that are so different from my life experience, um, and yet they're handled with such respect and uh, I, I would say uh, a, a multifaceted viewpoint. These are complex children, as all children are, and um, and you don't in any way try to simplify the complexities of their life. And and I value you for that, and I think that that's probably what your readers love so much about you as well. And I thank you for saying that because when I'm writing these characters, I am digging into some type of authenticity for them. I ask myself, what would it be like for this child? Why are they selling drugs? Um, How do they feel about it? And that's what the story of Doughboys is about because you know, you come to this story, some people will come to this story with an inherent bias. Um, the fact that Simp has uh, locks, that's already something that, you know, it's going to make people look at him differently. And we even have a scene in the book where, you know, the it, it, angel is trying to tell him, you know, don't wear your hoodie when we go into the white neighborhoods, because that's going to draw attention to you. So, you know, you're going to come at these characters with a lot of bias. But by the time you leave, you know, I hope that you better understand it. And that's the whole point is to to better understand the children who are in this position so that they're re- reflected. And so that you can see that they're coming into a situation that a lot of times they couldn't control. And instead of these kids having to come to you in shame, you know, they're they're able to come to you with, with more of an understanding. You have a better understanding of perhaps how they are coping with the situation they're in. Yeah. I loved also that it's it it it's a story of friendships and how how we go through them. I feel like when I was a kid, I thought those friendships would and should last forever. Yes. And that when they didn't, because they didn't, there was something wrong. And I felt that in your book too, Paula. You drop us in at a moment in the life of, of Raleigh and Simp where there are things changing. Simp wants so much not only to please Coach Tez, but he wants so badly to be captain this basketball is his life and and this coach because of that is 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 a very powerful force in his life and yes. it's important to Raleigh too i i know you wouldn't um you wouldn't deny that in any way but but then so is this other thing so is this chance to be in a go-go band so is mr b this other mentor and to have life pull two friends in different directions and have to spend the story, the book, reconciling what that means. Yes. Is, is a powerful, powerful uh, tool and mirror, I think, to hold up for children. This might not be a mirror book for uh, 
the for for a, for I don't know a lot some whatever the word is of children that read this book, mm-hmm. but but the complexity of friendship I think is undeniably a mirror to all children and what makes this book so accessible to all children. One hundred percent. I mean, especially at this particular age when you are in middle school, um, you always think that those friendships are forever and. If you're lucky, those friendships will also last through high school. But a lot of times that last year in eighth grade, that's when those friendships begin. First start taking that turn that says that they may not even last through high school. And, you know, you alluded to something that I think a lot of us go through. The first time you have a friend or or you have a friendship that ends, you are astounded because you're like, wait, oh, we were so close. We did everything together. And yet, you know, you can't fathom it ending and it and it does. And a lot of times it will. <laughs> so, you know, it really is about when you have that realization, especially when one of you is still kind of holding on to the friendship, maybe even more than the other. Um, I don't I, I think that Wally is not so much um, interested in ending the friendship as, as he is in getting them out of the game. And he knows that how difficult that is. And I think he also knows that Simp is a little more attached to it than he is. So he recognizes how complex it is for them to just move on. And I don't, I don't think Simp recognizes the complexity quite as much. I, I think that one, of course, that's, that's fair to say that. I also think that the fact that you walk these characters back so far for us to see so many threads that lead them into this moment now. And it's not that you do flashbacks, but rather you just are sort of peeling back the onion, if you will, and showing us parts of their life, the the other people in their life, and what it means to to be a part of the different families that they're a part of. For, for Simp, for Deontay, that he in no small way is providing for his family and that that is a role he has to fill and he has to fulfill, um, makes, makes getting out of the game a different moral question for him. Almost not even a choice. Not even. Yeah. And, and he recognizes that he absolutely understands that there is this unspoken um, agreement between he and his mom that uh, he has a lot of money. She comes to him when she needs it. And it's, you know, it it keeps him tethered to this, whether he wants to or not, because he has the younger brothers that he has to care for. Right. That responsibility and, and having a way to help um, is not is not something I had on my heart or on on my shoulders at that age, but it is absolutely something that my students um, at schools that I've worked in have, and that their siblings have had that responsibility. And I want a chance to tell you that I've. I haven't read a book that really centers them and their story in the way that Doughboys does without 
not that I can, not that I'm implying that they had a coach or anyone, any adult in their life that was sort of forcing them or leading them into dealing drugs or something like that. But, but rather to say that you're, you're giving us this story, Paula, that, that isn't like, look at these rough kids from the hood that all they're going to do is, is they're doomed to violence. So let's share a story about how we're going to struggle against the violence that they're coming up in this violent world, uh, or the pain that they're going to be going through. Um, and rather you present us with facts and how these characters are viewing these facts and how, how they choose a way to move forward. Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from the Highlights Foundation. Imagine your own private retreat in a picturesque setting. The Highlights Foundation believes all writers and artists can benefit from the gift of time. Time to create and time to dream. That's why they developed a program called Unworkshops that gives you the opportunity to create your own retreat. In an Unworkshop, time is yours to spend as you please. No structure, no schedule. They will provide you with comfortable lodging and three great meals a day. From the moment you arrive, you'll feel right at home and fussed over. They'll furnish a peaceful setting that lets you focus solely on your work. And for only $149 a day, you and your career are worth the investment. Learn more about these and other workshops and online courses by visiting highlightsfoundation.org slash programs. Yes, and, and it's important that, um, you know, it can be so hard sometimes to talk about um, what's lacking in representation in books because you don't want to, I certainly never want to come off like, you know, that I'm offending someone who has told the story that you talked about, the struggle um, of the inner city kid, because that's important. What's happened, though, is the focus has become so concentrated on those type of stories that you forget that there is joy within those stories, first of all, and that for these kids, their, their life isn't all pain. Um, you know, it, it may be complicated, but it's not all pain. And I want, I also took great pains to make sure that their parents were working parents so that we could, you know, stop this image of, uh, the welfare parent, um, obviously you're having all these kids and you don't work. Simp's mom has, um, you know, four kids, but she works. And Wally's mom only has the one kid, but she works. And it's important that they work because I think that it's, it's overblown that these parents aren't working. And so I wanted them to come from working class families so that that dynamic played a very big part in their lives. But the fact that their parents work is one of the reasons that they would have time to be out there being lookouts. There's going to be a lot of time where there, there is not an adult home. Yeah. Would you mind Paula, if I read an excerpt of your book to you for folks to get a a sense of, of not only the voice that you employ in the story, but also of, in this case, Deontay and his mom, that interaction. Yeah. Thank you. We shared this at the festival and I, I find this is such a beautiful piece to book talk with as well. So I'm going to share for those that care to find it. It's on page 39. Um, 
mom is in the door frame of Deontay's room and says, This job on my last nerves, she said, combing her fingers through her long, straight weave. Simp's first thought was, what that got to do with me? His mother was a receptionist at a doctor's office. She answered calls all day and signed in patients. Sitting on the phone didn't seem all that hard to him. He forced his face to stay neutral and muttered, Mm-hmm. Her words poured in a stream of steady rain. You know what it's like, Deontay, out here trying to provide for five hard-headed boys. She paused, eyebrow up, daring him to challenge the statement. She swished hair off her shoulder like she was mad at it. And it's bad enough I'm dealing with rude and nasty patients all day. Now they're talking about wanting to add more duties to my job. She rolled her eyes. But I don't hear them talking about more money. They make me sick with that mess. He reluctantly turned away from the mirror and leaned against the sink, gripping its sides like it was every day him and his mother stood in the bathroom chatting about her job. His mother didn't do random conversations. She wanted something. Even though he just wished she'd get to it, his stomach swerved with uncertainty. On top of that, every time I turn around, y'all outgrowing your clothes. Her lips pursed at the thought. Am I raggedy-ass car acting like it's ready to go up on me? That's the last thing I need. Before the stack of problems grew any higher, Sim finally asked, What? You need money or something, Ma? Her head reared back as she laughed, but when she looked at Sim, her eyes were sharp and curious. Why? You got money? He sucked his teeth. Ma, don't play. I'm serious. You need something? Hold, she snorted. That mean I'd pay you back. I'm your mother. Either you gonna give me what I need, or you and have it. But I ain't borrowing nothing from you. Shoot, I'm still the one paying the rent up in here. And if I can just fast forward to one paragraph, uh, Simp reflects. He knew what she meant, but he couldn't fight the heat rising in his head. All she had to do was ask, and he'd give it to her. But nah, she had to be extra and remind him that she ran things. Things that he helped pay for. I like that. One, I like the way you write. I've told you that before. I like <laughs> the way you write. It's it's beautiful. Um, but I like... Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> but I like that... Um, I like that right from the outset, that was 40 pages into the book, and we're seeing... This is not a kid who's making money and is like, I don't need anybody in my life. It's a kid who still loves his mom, mm -hmm. a kid who wants to help provide. He sees the need and importance of providing for his family, uh, that he plays a role in the survival of his family. He just wishes that that she would maybe express a love or respect back to him, yes. but not enough that he would... I I read not enough that he would that it would be worth trying to sever the relationship he has with her. And I don't think that it ever it doesn't occur to him that this is a relationship that needs to be severed. You know, I mean, for for those of us on the outside looking in, um, we're shaking our heads and maybe judging her because she's complicit in his illegal dealings, she clearly knows that he has money. It's 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 the game she's playing with him in that scene. But she knows he has money and she knows where he's gotten it from. I mean, he's 13. He's not out there, you know, working at McDonald's. So it's it's to him. This is a the normal part of their relationship, which it always it was always hard to write 
the things between him and his mom because I I could feel that he was wanting something from her that either she's incapable of giving or that she just for whatever reason refuses to give. You you see as the book goes along that she sort of plays favorites with one of the brothers because she knows he will, you know, snitch on the others and say what whatever they're saying when she's not there. So, you know, this is somebody who's pretty calculated, you know, for good, bad or indifferent, although she's keeping a roof over their head, his mom is a pretty calculating person and and she is part of the reason he makes some of the decisions that he does. Yeah. She's wise to the world. She knows how her world works and she's learned how to survive in it. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about this contrast between the mentors in your book, these two in particular mentor figures, Mr. B and Coach Tez. And I wonder if when you set out to tell the story of these boys, if if that was something that was guiding you through their story, it strikes me as a teacher what amazing power we have in the lives of children. As a parent, what amazing power of influence we have in the lives of children. Absolutely. And yet I think so often in children's books, we we try at least to have those have the main characters have agency which is which is important but sometimes that means that the adults play a really backseat role if they're even really present at all in a children's book but you have put two adults front and center and as an adult reader uh i found myself thinking a lot about those men as well well let me first say that i have made this comment before that culturally, you will find very few books that center Black characters where the adults are not a pretty significant figure in the book, because that's just unrealistic. To have a book where the parents or some type of adult figure is absent in in, in Black culture, it's just not going to happen. A Black parent will not be ghosted. So it's important to me that the characters, that the adult characters are realistic and well-rounded in how they interact with my characters. So in terms of Mr. B and Tez being polar opposites, was that um, something that I did on purpose? No. Um, It wasn't like I created these two different adults and wanted them to be polar opposites. I just put these two boys in their authentic environment and let it kind of play out. And the way that I saw it is that because Raleigh has this talent, that there would be someone else who recognized it and would try to nurture it, especially knowing the neighborhood that he came from. And Tez is a character actually that was first introduced in my YA series because he's Angel's uncle and Angel was a character in in my young adult series. And he has always been there and he's always been a part of the community. And it's, you know, just unfortunate because he could have, you know, he could do so much more good in the community. But, you know, he chooses to use these young boys to help him sell drugs. So, again, he was just a a almost natural part of um, of simp's life because 
he's always been running this team. Paula, did you have a lot of, I'm, I know the answer is yes. So I'm sort of half asking this rhetorically, but did you have a lot of individuals in your life that played a role, not just family, but also extending into school and, and uh, if you were at church or, or other parts of the community? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, these, the characters, the adult characters are very, you know, much um, the type of adults that I've always been around. And they also have characteristics of who I am because I, you know, was a cheerleading coach and, um, you know, I had a mentoring group. So I've done these things and I've had people who have done these things for me. So, you know, absolutely that those experiences find their way in the book in little tiny pieces of who these adults are. You mentioned about the, the cultural difference. And as I was hearing that, I thought not just about that, but also just that that was not my experience. So I wonder if that's why for me as 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 me individually reading this book, why the adults in those relationships spoke so loudly to me because I I think that I oh I know that I didn't I can't point back to a ton of adult relationships in from my childhood that that felt like they were they were present hmm. without okay. going too deep into that but I I appreciate you sharing that because it gives me new insight just a, a new thing to call attention to my senses as I'm reading mm -hmm. um, different books, different cultures represented. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. I appreciate it very personally, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I also appreciate it if I could just make things a little light. Um, um, as I said to you, when we were in Baltimore, I really appreciated all the reference to go-go bands. Knowing that go go, gotta talk about DC, right? Say DC go go bands. I grew up in the DC and Baltimore punk scene, yeah, and the punk and hardcore scene, and there was an awful lot of go go crossover in that world. And again, picking up this book cold, not knowing what I was getting into, even from the title, um, and having that was just so exciting. Because it, it, a small part of me was also like, ooh, I bet when Paula visits school, she plays some go-go music for the kids, because that is <laughs> rad. <laughs> but you have Raleigh, if I can just have a moment, Raleigh getting this opportunity to, to try out for a local go-go band that's, that's achieving a bunch of success. They're up and coming. And yeah. this is a really big deal. And it's a band that Raleigh is not only familiar with, but he is like a bit obsessed over. Um, and to have that, that chance to feel like, I don't know how else to say it other than that cliche way of saying that like opportunity is knocking, that this yes. is something you cannot deny yourself. You, you hope the stars align so that you can even have this audition and that an adult would say, I actually think this could be something you could do. Yeah. Um, and you have, was it the friend, the, the friend over text, I think said something like, 
or maybe it was the teacher, Mr. B, that said something like, I, I, I wouldn't have you audition if I didn't think you, you stood a chance. Right, right. He, he sees the talent in, in Raleigh and he, he knows that it's raw talent. It, that's, that's the beauty of it is that it's not, this is not a young man that has been um, trained to play the drums. He's pretty much taught himself, you know, and he's good enough to play in church. And, you know, he was good enough to get into this gifted, this talented and gifted program. And his teacher just, you know, thinks, okay, this would, you know, actually be perfect. And without ever really promising him that it would happen, you know, he just knew why not? I'm going to give him this shot. And and that I, I love the prospect of that because, you know, I have a daughter who is a ballet dancer. So, we're very much, you know, a part of the arts and the the competitive nature of it and how nerve wracking auditions are. And I and I like capturing that for young young students because a lot of young students go through this more more than we probably acknowledge. I thought that um it was just cool. Yeah. More than we more than we acknowledge. And and maybe more than is even really talked about and normalized in at least school culture. Maybe the kids yeah. talk about it with one another, but I rarely hear about um, auditions for things. It's usually after the fact when it was, oh, we had a tournament this weekend or, oh, I had this thing, mm-hmm. um, but not the anticipation of. And it was it was exciting to anticipate that with Raleigh to care about both these boys and and hoping that that life turns out for them in small part how they hope or mm-hmm. or how how they deserve um mm-hmm. because i i i'm i'm not alone thinking that all children really deserve a chance to be centered and to be seen and to feel value and worth and i think your book points to the complexity of where we where we seek that feedback. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, yeah, it's beautiful. I wrote a note in my journal when we talked um, in Baltimore, and this was something that I've carried with me leading into us recording this. Um, and it has just made me smile because it's something that I realized I can also say to my students, but I wrote a note here that you said, I wrote this because I see you. Yes. Could you, as, as we're nearing the end of our time together, would you mind drawing that connection for me and for others listening about when you wrote Dear Black Boy and Doughboys and just, just what, what has been on your head and on your heart that has brought these stories onto the page? I cannot overestimate how important it is for children of color to see themselves in a wide variety of stories. And when I say that I see a student, what I'm saying is that I'm seeing beyond the surface or beyond the assumptions I am seeing that, you know, there is a secret life that kids lead that most adults are not privy to. And when you are able to write about topics 
such as young kids who are hustling on the street, or in the case of So Done, where they're dealing with a terrible secret between them about inappropriate touching. When you're able to tell those stories and those kids are seeing kids who are going through it, kids who know someone who who's going through it, it's so important to them and it allows them to see books in a new light. I think too often students see books as a chore. And I think it's because too many of the books that they read don't reflect their experience at all. And while it's great to have a window and to see a new world, you get tired of just looking out of the window. Sometimes you want to see yourself. Sometimes you want to see something familiar. So it's important for me that these kids are seen in so many different ways. And I just work really hard to do that in my books. You know, whether it's showing that black kids also do ballet or black kids also do theater, whatever it is, I want them to know that they are seen, that we know they're out there despite how invisible they're made to feel by the lack of representation. I think that there is no better way to put a bow on this conversation than first to say thank you. I'm so grateful, Paula, that that I know you, that you have had an influence in my life and in my teaching, um, but also how incredibly grateful I am that you are in this world writing these stories for these children. Uh, I will close by asking you that question that I, I, I always close with, um, <laughs> but I just have gratefulness on my heart. Paula, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? I just want readers to keep their minds and their hearts open. Um, I think sometimes you think that you don't like certain stories, but it's only because those stories maybe haven't been as widely available. And I just want readers to give their fellow students a chance by reading about each other, you know, like actually picking up a book you wouldn't normally read because it might help you know the person that you're sitting next to. So don't be afraid, you know, to pick up a book because it has a girl on it if you're a boy, or don't be afraid to pick up a book that has a person of color on it if you're white, because it's all about, you know, learning about each other and realizing that in the end, we're all a lot more alike than we are different, especially when we're faced with adversity. This is Darshna Kiani, author of How to Wear a Sari, coming in fall 2020. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.darshanakhiani.com forward slash South Asian Kid Lit. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Pottington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. 
All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of our patrons. Those folks who are supporting the podcast and helping keep the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Tracy, Hallie, Chris, Amy, Summer, Sarah, Kate, Darshna, Patricia, Amanda, Theo, Jarrett, Justin, Anitra, Selaja, Ailey, Suzanne, Mike, Steve, Mia, Karina, Adrian, Irene, Kate, Ed, Jenny Sue, Cynthia, Sylvie, Doug, Amanda, Judy, Ruth, Elaine, Teresa, Alicia, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to join us. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.